Everyone, you've got to check this out. The Airwave Endurance Performance Mouthpiece is here. We talked about this in the past. The Airwave Mouthpiece that directs your tongue down and increases your airway opening by up to 25%. They now have refined this and released the Endurance Performance Mouthpiece. This can reduce your respiratory rate by 20%, which means less lactic acid, faster recovery times. It can reduce cortisol buildup by 50%. They have peer-reviewed published research by Dr. Dina Gardner of the Citadel. They are now a supporting partner of USA Triathlon. 16 years of research went into this, and Airwave released its first product in late 2020. They now have the Endurance Performance Model. Check it out. If you go to airwave.com slash LR10, you can save 10% off. That's Airwave, A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com slash LR10. Link in the show notes. Check it out today. Take your performance to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Rojo is back from his boots on the ground experience at the new Haywood Field, his first visit to the new Track and Field Palace. We talk about the pre classic winners and losers, and we break down the US 10K championships from Friday night. Plus, do you guys realize a 20 year old collegian just ran 986 in the 100 meters wind legal last weekend? Yes, it's time to board the Mackay Williams hype train. Plus, Alphine Tuliamuk capped off Memorial Day weekend by winning the Boulder Boulder. We'll discuss about all that and more. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm joined by my co-hosts and co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, hope you had a good long weekend. Nice to see you again. Robert, you're still in one piece from your cross-country journey to Eugene and back. How are you holding up? I'm doing amazing, John. Absolutely amazing. It was a blockbuster trip to Eugene. I survived the two red eyes. I wasn't sure I could do that, but I, I saw everything I wanted to do. I did everything I wanted to do in Eugene and more. I saw my wonderful cousin Alice, the new stadium. I even got to stay in the in an Airbnb right next to Pree's Rock. I had no idea. This woman's husband found Pree, well, he was still alive, underneath the car. I'll tell you about the inside scoop on his, his tragic death. Um, it was amazing. Yesterday I ran into my neighbor at the pool who used to be in charge of NBC's Olympic track and field broadcast. She's like, did you go out there? I said, yeah. She's like, how was it? I said, I, I did everything I wanted and more. It was great. I went to track down pizza, wild duck, etc. I so, just wish wow. I, my only regret was I, I apparently, I don't know. I was in the bowels of the stadium on, on Saturday. Apparently nobody was actually up top in the stadium watching the meet. So Robert, after weeks of shitting on Eugene and saying how you were never going to visit the new Haywood Field, it seems like one trip has just rekindled your love affair with the city. Are you back on board? Uh, not so much. We'll talk about that when we get to the attendance. I love Eugene. It's a great place to have a track meet. But I think this week was proof positive that we should not have every major track meet in America in Eugene. I think it's a colossal mistake. And the idea that Eugene is going to save track and field in, in, in America is already totally a myth before we even get to the world championships. I just hope there aren't empty seats at Worlds. Well, 
At least we got him to admit, John, the stadium's amazing. There's two threads on Let's Run and the lack of attendance, Eugene. We will get to that later. Robert, we need to have your neighbor, the former producer of NBC Track and Field, on the podcast. She has left for bigger and better things. I think she's doing like Amazon Thursday Night Football or something like that. Is that the case? But she can just now like say whatever she wants about track and field. And someone who's in those worlds, right? She's obviously highly good at this job. She's being coveted by Amazon football. She can say, hey, what does track need to do for coverage? Can it ever be super popular? I mean, I'm going to love track and field no matter what. It's always going to be a big part of the Olympics. But, hey, let's talk about the action in Eugene first. Well, I think John and I are going to be working on a written piece, and it's going to be sort of maybe the biggest winners and losers from pre. We're kind of coming up with the names. We haven't totally worked it all the way out yet. But sometimes I think we can get caught up in short-term winners, long-term winners. Well, I think the biggest long-term winner in America, from an American perspective is someone who I didn't even talk to. The one person in Eugene I didn't I wanted to talk to. Well, not true, but one of the few that I wanted to talk to that didn't talk to on Saturday. I did not I literally did not watch a single race from the stadium. I stayed in the basement, dedicated to the task at hand, talking to everyone. I think I did over 25 interviews. But Mr. Carrie Richardson never saw her come through, but she was pretty darn good on the track. You know, we to get second place in this race after being kind of way back last week was a big step forward. You know, we estimated last week, John, that she, we thought she was in 11 flat shape. Would she run 10-9-2? I just yep. think she's got plenty of time now to move that down and be a factor, potentially even for the win, which is crazy. Um, so I thought Shakari did very, very well. And I actually, while I really wanted to talk, to talk to her and while I really think it's an absolute joke that our sport is not more professional, that we, we don't require basic professionalism of the meet directors, of the meet organizers, of the participants to you know, explain things to the media and fans. I think it should be a requirement that you speak to the media after your race. I think it was very smart of her not to speak to the media. She just went through there and said, not today, not today. Just don't, don't talk big. Just stay focused on the task at hand and we'll see you at USA's and we'll see you at Worlds. Well, I was kind of shocked with you guys because I had some family obligations during pre. Oh, that's what you want to call a Champions League watching party, but... That was only secondary. Wait, it was fam, how can you possibly spin that as family obligations? Were you watching with us with your wife and daughter, Weldon? My wife and daughter were there. We were invited over to some a friend's house who said, hey, I'm going to have the game on. And then we had dinner with an uncle right immediately after. So that's the family obligation. Okay, so I, all right. I wasn't able to write. So catching up on the meat sort of interesting when you don't see it. I, need to, I think we need to think about this. If you guys got ideas of what you want to see in our coverage, email us. Because at first I was trying to see a lot of the races. But I immediately, like rewinding the broadcast, I saw the men's hundred. I think I saw the Bowerman mile. Jakob Ingrup and some men. He just destroyed those guys. I think I didn't see the women's hundred. So then I was just reading the recap. And you guys are praising Shikari Richardson. Gosh, she must do pretty well. And then I watched the actual race, and I'm like, wow, she got smoked. I was sort of shocked. And I even argued with John, and he put it in perspective. She got smoked by Elaine Thompson Hurrah, but she, at this stage, looks like she might be primed to get a silver or bronze medal at Worlds. I mean, I think those two things aren't mutually exclusive. 
Is that how where you guys kind of stand on this? Yeah, because Elaine Thompson Herrera ran ten five four last year. Like she is, she's the world record holder in my view. When she's on, she's not losing to anyone. So look at the women Shakari beat on Saturday. Sharika Jackson, ten seven woman, silver medal. Sorry, bronze medalist from last year's Olympics. Dina Asher Smith, who just won the Diamond League the week before in Birmingham, is the silver medalist from twenty nineteen Worlds. She went in one week from being fourth in a domestic field you know, getting beat in Jacksonville at that American track league to now against a world-class field, she's second and the only person to beat her was Elaine Thompson Hurrah. That's tremendous progress in one week. And if she can just stay healthy, keep training, stay consistent between now and the world championships in July, she has the potential to get a whole lot better. And Robert said, could she even contend for the win? I... I don't think it's totally out of the question. I think it's going to be very, very tough to beat Thompson Hurrah or Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, who have both already run fast this year. But Saturday's race was a reminder of just how big a talent Sha'Carri Richardson is because the, the gulf and the talent level between her and the rest of the Americans is very, very wide. Yeah, but what's interesting is, uh, the weird thing is, you and I are viewing it as a positive now. She gets a medal at Worlds because the expectations are, but if she gets third, She'll probably view that as a disappointment, and maybe the public at large will view it as a disappointment. Maybe that maybe that's not fair because these other sprinters, you know, are so good. What one reason why I think that she potentially could win, because I was like, even if she gets back to her peak form from like, you know, that may not that's probably not enough to beat Elaine Thompson Hera. But Elaine has been injured, and she talked about some days I feel good and I can train, some days I can't, I, I don't feel good. Now she pulled out of the Birmingham meet, ran a the same day in Jamaica, and I asked her about that in the mix zone. And God yelled at. Go ahead and watch the YouTube video. She's like, if you were listening, I said, well, memo to everyone who's listening to this podcast and sees my interviews on YouTube. People are like, why do you leave mid-answer sometimes? Because there's only one of me and there's like 40 athletes down there. So if someone comes in that I haven't talked to, I might go over there in the middle of the interview. And I can't stand there for the entire beginning and end. So I apologize to Miss Elaine Thompson. Hera. What, Robert, I don't know if you have anything to apologize here for because – she explained she had a dislocated shoulder and it had given her problems in training. But then you asked her, why did you withdraw from Birmingham only to run in Kingston on the same day? And she said, well, I already said, if you were listening before, I had a shoulder injury. But that, wasn't, that doesn't answer your question. That doesn't explain why she didn't run one race due to an injury, yet she was still feeling good enough to run a, a, the race on the same day in a different location. She did not answer your question. So I don't think you were doing your job as a journalist. She was a little ticked off. Maybe didn't want to go into details about it. But I don't think you have anything to apologize in that situation. The YouTube comments, commenters loved it. Wow, she wet him up and walked away like he was now dead to her. FFV Gaming says she cooked him and then smiled. It's cooked like a Jamaican shish kebab. Speaking of Jamaican slang, I guess we can just say this episodes explicit if we say a word that's explicit in jamaican english but not american do we have to label it as much but remember we had the word bumbleclot is that what bumbleclot is that the word bumbleclot so this was on the podcast a couple weeks ago it might have been a friday 15 which is the supporters club only podcast if you want a second podcast every week go to let's run.com slash subscribe this is a subscription that could pay for itself you can save 20 percent on running shoes right now so that's pretty good. You buy a pair of shoes, 
hate to tell you, but a lot of shoes these days are 150 bucks and up. Boom, you save 30 bucks right off the bat. Sign up for a year, you get a free T-shirt. It's a great deal. But essentially, Elaine Thompson's ex-girlfriend. Shakari's ex-girlfriend. Oh, excuse me. Shakari Richardson's ex-girlfriend. Janique Brown. Janique Brown. Thank you, John. The former hurdler from Arkansas. She essentially was responding to the allegations from Shakari that she stole from her and abused her and all this stuff. And she just kept her. She did an Instagram video and was just repeating the word bumbleclot, bumbleclot. And it's essentially like Jamaican slang for MF or, or, you know, something worse. And I'm out there playing in my over 40 soccer league. And this guy tries to juke this guy in the sideline, kicks it out of bounds, and he just yells, bumbleclot, bumbleclot. And I immediately, I just went up to him, I go, you're Jamaican, dude. He goes, what? I'm like, you just yelled bumbleclot. And he goes, how'd you know? And I'm like, oh, I heard it. I heard this. I couldn't tell him the story. So you learn something every day on the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We thank you for your support. If you want to reach us, you can call us 1-844-LET'S-RUN. As this podcast started, we just got a voicemail. I'm going to check it right now because Robert never checks the voicemail. Email us as well, podcast at letsrun.com. All right, we're mainly known for being a distance website. Let's don't put everyone to sleep by talking just sprints. I mean, Michael Norman was a big winner here. Like, again, I didn't watch any of these races live. I looked up on the TV, and just the way he was attacking that 400 was really, really impressive. 43-6, that's a Diamond League record, right, John? And he's what he said, the, and this is it's amazing. This guy's a former world junior champion. As fast as he's run, he's never won a medal at a global outdoor championships um, as a senior you know, professional athlete. And he's like, oh, I just was struggling last year to get in the right rhythm, to feel good, and to run the race right. I've been talking to Quincy Watts, my coach, about it. I just thought he looked amazing. And I also, Allison Dos Santos in the 400 hurdles. This Brazilian guy is really, really good. And he was one of my favorite interviews of the entire week. I will link to it in the show notes. Someone, John, write that down. Make sure that I always say I'm going to link to stuff in the show notes. I don't always do it. But his English is amazing. He's got a good good personality. And people forget how young he is. He's way younger than these other 400 hurdles. He's 21. And like, how do you beat Warholm? He's like, you run 45. He said, it's going to take a 45. We're talking in the hurdles, people, to win. So just because, he, you know, people forget, I think, they realize how young he is and how he could be the future of the event. We're talking about Warholm. Warholm could be like the Federer, you know, and this guy is, you know, Djokovic or something like that because, you know, he's, he's missing the hair because of the childhood accident. So people think he's, he looks like he's the oldest guy when really he's by far the youngest. So he was a great interview. They were big winners on the sprint side. But distance-wise, where do you want to start? I mean, I have two huge winners. I think we start with Jakob Ingebrigtsen because he just looked phenomenal. And we talked about this before the show, Robert, but is it just over for everyone? I mean, he just... Tell me why he's not significantly better than every other miler on earth right now. I can't. I mean, who wasn't in that race? Josh Kerr? Oh, Tefera was in the 5,000. Tefera's also running the 5,000, I think, in another Diamond League. I just saw him announced for. So maybe he's not even targeting the 1,500 this year. But yeah, Kerr was the big name missing. I guess Mohamed Katir, if he runs the 1,500. But the, the one, I guess the one, if you're someone else trying to beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen, 
maybe a silver lining if you're Abel Kip saying he's been running races just every week, traveling the entire world. You know, that's probably going to take a toll with some travel, uh, with fatigue, just racing week in and week out, whereas Ingebrigtsen's preparing just for that one race. He's been in Flagstaff for the last few weeks, but watching that race, it it's hard to imagine anyone touching Ingebrigtsen at the World Championships this year, in the 1500 at least. Well, you know me, I like to always be a little bit of a contrarian. He was amazing. He's the, the gap between him and everybody else in the world is is large, and I see why why he was so confident world indoor. John, you saw him just talking to the media. He was so at ease. I really he he unlike these other teen phenoms or former teen phenoms, he seems to be enjoying it. Not the media is not a pressure. I, I know it's not the same thing in track and field as it is in these other sports, but but he was very confident world indoors. We got second in the world with COVID, which is pretty darn good, I guess. And then just today, just I mean on Saturday, just dominate everybody. But the one thing that I think we don't know that he could do. His one weakness is he's not super fast. He's not an 815 guy. This is a 15 guy, 155, definitely 1510. I mean, he runs world cross. It wouldn't shock me if this guy ran a 205 marathon. I think he could maybe set the half marathon world record someday. I mean, I have no idea, but they say his lactate threshold stuff is off the charts. So what would his the, the, the one thing he's got going against him now is He's so much better than them in the time trial races. All these races in the last couple of years have been pure time trials. What was pre? Rabbited. If worlds aren't rabbited and Timothy Chariot's not willing to serve as the unofficial rabbit, then he's going to have to do the work. Now, if you watch him in the race, he went out from the first turn kind of in the back and just mowed down the field between 100 and 200. Just kept moving up. He's got a great sense of pace, an amazing sense of pace. Remember, we saw that in the 5,000 he ran last year in Rome, I think it was. So he does have an amazing sense of pace, but if you have to lead the whole thing and it's, you know, that's a little bit harder. So if you let it sit and kick, then you put people with the big kicks like Josh Kerr in the, in the mix. So he, by crushing everybody by this much, maybe Chariot's like, screw this. I'm not going to lead it. But the thing is, I think Chariot's better has a better odds of meddling in a fast race than he does in letting it become a shit show kickers race. I, I also think Ingebrigtsen's good enough and he's comfortable enough at the front that he just say, fine, I'll run 328 from the front. And we saw Timothy Chariot. Basically, he's in a similar position to where Chariot was in 2019. And people were like, oh, you know, championship race, is he going to be able to do it? Well, he went out to Doha and he front ran a 329 without rabbits and just destroyed everyone. And I think Inga Brixen in 2022 is where Chariot was in 2019. And if no one's going to pace it for him, he's good enough that he can just drop everyone. Yeah. But... He did try that at World Indoors, and Teferi was right there. And Jen, you expect him to pull away in the final 200 instead of Teferi pulled away in the final 100. Now, admittedly, he had COVID. But yeah, you're right. I, that's a good point. I think he'll try it, and I think he'll just... He appears to be better enough than everyone to to give up the, the you know... John Kellogg, how much do you lose from leading the front in 1500? I won't even repeat what he says. He thinks it's a lot of seconds. Three to four seconds. Okay. I don't know if Cherion would have run 325 or 326 in Doha, but the other thing, I just love Ingebrigtsen's bluntness in the mix zone. Like, he was asked, you know, did it bother you? No one went with you uh, when you made your move. And he was just like, well, you, know, you can't get mad at people who aren't good enough to do it, basically. He's just like, he's like being honest. There, 
No one, he's the Olympic champion. He's the best Meyer in the world. Is he going to get mad when people can't hang with the pace he's setting? No, because he's the man. So I, I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, John, I thought he was amazing. I, I read the race recap before I saw it. I'm like, what do you mean he just destroyed the field? It wasn't super fast. And then I rewatched it and it looked like a man competing against boys, except one of the boys was Timothy Chariot. So, I don't know. It was very surprising. You don't see a lot of races like that, I feel like, in that level. That's a, what, like a 331, 332 race? Just sort of destruction. I feel like sometimes you see it if somebody goes super hard with a rabbit, you know, and you get a 328, 329, and no one else can hang, and the next guys are 331, 332, something like that. But, John, let's get us to what else he said in the mix zone. And I'm surprised you guys aren't bowing down. And I know, John, you don't like it when I play clips from past shows, but I should. Because it was the ultimate vindication for Robert Johnson. I'm just on fire so recently. I had the greatest false start idea ever. Y'all both admitted it was amazing. And then I go into the mix zone. I have to teach track and field history to Jocko Bingham-Britson. And then he confirms what I've been saying about his own career when he's going to retire be 100 correct so we get into the mix zone he does the interviews he loves to talk to people he's no problems and apparently oh by the way i did tape him talking to his brother in norwegian some people have translated that on youtube that was kind of interesting in the comment section um people are like someone should figure out what he's saying what he was saying was he when he took the lead he felt some wind but he couldn't figure out which direction it was coming from so the wind was kind of swirling a little bit couldn't, but it was interesting when he talked about the wind to me. He's like, I just couldn't figure out when to push and how to meet my effort out. But afterwards, I guess there were some Paris 2024 organizers there. And they had a little Paris 2024 sign. I told him to write something on there. And he, he wrote something like, hoping to make history with the first back to back. And I see the sign. He's taking the picture. I'm like, what are you guys referring to? You know, they're like, oh, he won the Olympic gold. He wants to be the first person to win another one. I'm like, uh, that's already happened. And now, John, I really needed you there to be confident. Like, Wait, am I wrong? Maybe I've got this mistake. And I said, I'm pretty sure Subco did it. And then I looked up in Wikipedia and I, I showed them. And he's like, it was cool. He's like, oh, just add another back on there. So they put back to back to back, which is exactly what I said. John's had these quotes. We're going to write an article about this where he said, oh, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do. I said, look, he's going to get to 24 and win. And then he'll be the first to go the second to go back to back and then he's got to become the first to go back to back to back and he he just randomly said something about la 2028 and he said there's no way i'm stopping before then i said oh then you retire he said no he's like there's just, i'm not there's no chance i stop before 2028 so he's confirmed what i said on this podcast john admit that i'm a genius uh maybe in 2028 i will let's let's uh let's wait till things play out i, I also I can't wait until we're doing this podcast in 2028 and you're going to be taking credit for single-handedly extending his career. It's like, you know why Jakob Ingebrigtsen's running the 2028 Olympics? Back in the 2022 pre-classic mix zone, they made a mistake and said he was going to be the first guy to go back-to-back in the 1500. So then he just added two more words. He added two back at the end of that little piece of paper and that's the only reason he's continued the last no, next no. four years. Because I don't even know if you have listened to the, to that video. It was clear to me he was already planning on going through 2020. No, that is that is what it sounded like he said. But again, and then I said, "Oh, you retire then." He said he acted like that was don't jump to conclusions, buddy. I, mean, I don't know what else he would do. 
Let's see. Let's let's just see if he's still competing in 2028. John, this is great. Usually I don't want to pump Robert's horn, but he saved the track and field. He extended it. Phil Knight's throwing hundreds of millions of dollars. All he needed to do <laughs> was just employ Rojo. He just extended the life blood life line of the sport four years. But what if Rojo? This could, Rojo could become a celebrity in Norwegian. Maybe Rojo, your hope to be an announcer is on Norwegian TV. Now, I think enough people there are smart and know English, so maybe you won't even have to learn Norwegian. And this is also the inciting moment for Team Ingebrigtsen, the return. When they bring back Team Ingebrigtsen for the build-up to the 2028 Olympics, they'll say it all started with this one throwaway moment in Eugene, Oregon, and a a running journalist by the name of Robert Johnson. I think you guys have it all backwards. I think my hope as a broadcaster, I've been crushing it with the hot takes, is Thursday Night Football. And have you seen how much money those announcers make, $30 million? Look, they employ color commentators on track and field broadcasts all the time who do not know anything that they're talking about. So they could put me on Thursday Night Football and it would be perfect. I would kind of think that I know enough about the sport to be entertaining and I would probably rock it. And since my neighbor is now the head of Thursday Night Football, I'll do it for a lot less than $30 million a year that Tom Brady's All right, all right, all right. Time to bring your ego back down. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But Robert... You did mention there was another distance performance that came to mind in terms of a big winner from pre. Who is that? No, no, John, I got a break in. I checked the voicemail. It's related to this race. I assume the other big breakthrough isn't in the Bowerman Mile, Robert. I just will go there to keep it on topic. Go ahead, Weldon. We've received a voicemail. Just came in. From the fake Josh Kerr, the one top miler in the world, not at the pre-classic. We don't make this stuff up. This was not, I mean, just God rewards us on this podcast. He's just, serendipity is amazing. Okay, the the voicemail is a bit long, so I'm just going to play this highlight about, he, he gives a shout out to Derek Rubis, says, Derek, get better, keep taking the beds. Doesn't think the USA will sweep all the distance medals at Worlds. But then he has this to say about people getting excited about distance performances in May. So I'll just cut the highlight, so hopefully this is the right part. Speaking of my good name, why is everybody worried about what I'm running in May? You know, it's important. Championship racing. Nobody remembers anything about what's going on just now. Look at the Diamond League last year. Nobody can tell you the winners. Three people can tell you the winners. The winner, their mum, and Jonathan Galt. Wow. How proud does that make Jonathan Galt feel? I, I knew I liked this fake Josh Kerr character. But, hey, that's true. Could anyone tell you who won the Paris Diamond League 1500 meter last year? I'm sure John could. Or even was there one? I'm not convinced that there was a Paris Diamond League 1500 last year. Okay. So, Josh Kerr training. Fake Josh Kerr wants more praise for Danny Mackey. And he says, get excited about the championship performances. We need to talk about a few other athletes in this mile. I was watching the race up front, and I was on the TV. I was watching in the back. Thank God the high school kid, Solomon, was 
wearing like a yellow jersey. Well, I guess it was easy to see the guy in last place. I was watching that to see if he was going after Webb's record, trying to figure out what he ran. That would have been the one race where if I'd actually been in the stadium, I could have seen him in camera because he kept falling out of picture. So he runs 356, barely hanging on. It's amazing how fast that race is. You realize how uncompetitive? It's crazy. 356 is fast, but he was way back the whole race. But I thought he did a really good job of hanging in there and running a PR. But no, 353 will live on for another day. But so he does well. And then after the race was finished, I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker were in this race. I mean, there's a lot going on in the mix zone. And that's what I was more obsessed with, like coming in. I would have been like, okay, I expect Jakob to win. I want to see how fast Salmon runs. Can he break 353? Answer no. Then who wins Tier or Hawker? And for the first time ever, Cole Hawker has taken down Cooper Tier. What did you make of those two performances, John? I thought they were both pretty solid. They did about what I expected them to do. Uh, you know, you look at, I said this in our post-race recap, I feel like the top eight, all of them are going to be fairly content with how they ran in this race, other than perhaps Abel Kipsang, and he has the excuse of having raced a ton over the last month. But Hawker was fifth in 350.97, but he was only three-tenths behind Ollie Hoare in second, and he was boxed in basically the whole home straight. And I was wondering, I was watching that race. I'm like, wow, he's not well positioned. He's totally boxed on the home straight. Is it because, you know, did he not close as well because he was right behind Chariot and Kipsang? Or was it because, you know, he didn't have a top gear? And he said in your interview, when you talked to him after the race, Robert, is he felt he was boxed in. And if he had a little bit more room to maneuver, he could have closed better. So that was encouraging for me to hear from him. I'm not buying that. I was at the airport and I bumped in one of the, one of the assistant agents for Ray Flynn. He was telling me the same thing. I, I went back and watched the video three times this morning. He's behind Kip Singh and Chariot and there's room to run. He couldn't get around him. I mean, maybe he runs a he. The agent made it sound like, oh, he definitely would have gotten third if he would have beaten Kip Singh and Chariot if he hadn't been boxed in. Nope. They were running just as fast as not faster than him the last 100. So there was a, a thread by Jaman started on the message board. Like, can we stop with the excuses of, Oh, I was boxed. And I didn't have good position. That rarely is the big excuse. Like if you're good enough, you'll get out and you'll roll. So maybe you move up a couple spots. I mean, I, I say no to that, but I think it was a good performance for him. Like to beat tier. I mean, I would have thought tier was the number one miler coming into this race. I thought tier was going to beat him handily in this race. It was a rabid race and he did it. And, you know, I, I think that, He's got some confidence after this. He said, you know, last year it was more like, let's don't get last. Let's don't get last. And he was doing pretty damn well getting sixth in the Olympics. Now he's trying to, now he feels like he belongs and can run with these guys. Yeah. Well, the other thing is positioning is part of racing. Like you don't, you don't get to say after the Olympics, well, I was sixth, but I had bad position. It's like, no, you were sixth. You know, that's how it works. So that is an aspect. He's, he's still only 20 years old. So he's still developing that skill, obviously. Tier, I thought was, 351 is fine. He got some experience racing some top-level guys. I think he'll want to do him do better in the future. But if you look at the guys he beat, again, he said this in your post-race interview with you, Robert, they were all Olympic finalists last year, and most of them, apart from Ollie Hall, were in the top six in the Olympics. So for Kubatir to finish sixth in that field, I thought that was pretty solid. Makes me definitely think, you know, as long as he can survive the rounds and sort of the tactics if it's a slow USA's, Maybe it's not if him and Hawker just decide to sort of make it a really fast race, but he's very well positioned to make the team in the 1500. So I think they can both walk away from that 
with the head held high. And same thing, Colin Salmon, 356. Just a terrific run. The only American high schoolers who've ever gone faster are Jim Ryan and Alan Webb. So when you can say that about your performance, you know you're in pretty elite company. Do I owe Ollie Hoare an apology, John? I feel like, was it last week's podcast? I was like, this guy's overrated. You know, he didn't do very well at the Olympics. I don't know how he's ranked fourth in the world, but he got second here. Very good field. Sure, he wasn't contending for the wind, so maybe some of my criticism still holds. But <laughs> he wasn't contending for the win against Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I but mean... he made no attempt. Like it, it's like he was racing for second. I guess you could say the same thing of almost everybody else, except for a couple guys. But solid run for him. Just you know, keep stringing those together. Yeah, no, it was, too, it was a great run for him. Three fifty was personal best. He. And the look, the the big guy who was missing this race is Josh Kerr, but guess what? Hoare beat Kerr at the Birmingham Diamond League last weekend, and he also beat him at the Wanamaker Mile in January. So, you know, the big the big dance in Eugene in July, that's gonna be where people met, you know, really are graded. And I guess they'll also get to race each other at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham in August. But yeah, really good run for Ollie Hoare. He's definitely a winner from the weekend. Speaking of which, I'm just I just found the replay again. I just watched the final 100 meters. Ollie Hoare is behind Kip Singh, he's behind Hawker, and he's behind Chariot with 100 meters to go and beats them all. So can can Cole Hawker? No, I mean yes, Cole Hawker. If Cole Hawker had enough move, he could have gone to the wide like Ollie Hoare did and done it. So that was not the reason why he got fourth, fifth. Okay, that is uh, takes on the Bowman Mile. It was a great Bowman Mile, Robert. Big winner. I think you wait. I think you're going 5K, right? He's got a Berhu Aragawi won the men's 5,000 by 16 seconds, ran 1250 world leader. I mean, I cannot remember that sort of destruction in any Diamond League men's distance race. It's just ridiculous. He won by 16 seconds over Sam, like, and not over Jokers. Like, he took down Samuel Teferro, who's the world indoor champion, who impressed. He got second in his 5K debut in this race, and also Salomon Borrega, who is the Olympic champion, world indoor champion, well, Olympic champ at 10K, world indoor champ at 3K. I was thinking after world indoors, oh, he might be the next Bekele. He just owns this, the distances. He got smoked by Berahu Aragawi. So I assume he's your other big winner from this meet. Without a doubt. Like, in the winter, after Fisher ran the American record in the 10,000, it's always going to medal. I'm like, just because you're really good does not mean you're going to be meddling or winning or whatever, because there's a lot of other really good guys. And he was the one I pointed out. I mean, like the one, one of the few mysteries still out there. I mean, one of the most legendary things is Daniel Komen 3000 record. I know it's outdoors. What is it? 720. Yep. But indoors he ran what? 724. Yeah. And this guy gave it a scare in the first race of the year. So, this was the guy, Aragali, one place ahead of Fisher in the 10,000 last year. So fourth versus Fisher's fifth. But I'm like, if this guy's getting better just like Fisher is, that doesn't mean that Fisher medals because he's got to beat somebody this sixth. So he shows up at World Indoors, doesn't even medal. I mean, doesn't even make the final. So I don't know if he was injured or what. He does not speak good English, so I didn't speak to him at World Indoors really or here. But both of his, I mean, these are two of the most impressive openers I've ever seen to threaten Daniel Coleman's into a world record and then to run this and just destroy this field like this. Super, super, 
Super impressive. If only Joshua Cheptegei had been in the field, we'd actually get to compare them head-to-head instead of seeing Cheptegei runs, what, 12.55 on Friday, and then Aragawi runs 12.50 on Saturday. So let's get into that. So there's two 5,000s, world record attempt Friday night, one Saturday. John, the whole time I'm out there, did you ask them why there's two? John was outraged. John, This was like a Rojo rant by John. And I don't think I mentioned this on the bonus podcast, but I finally did speak to, I think it was co-meet director Mike Riley, but the, the way it was described to, me, described to me actually made sense. Now, I don't know if this is actually true. So this is what I was told. What pre normally has a, th- a three a 3,000 or a two-mile. Normally a two-mile, right, John? Do they always have a two-mile? Often it's a two-mile. Yeah. Because I guess that's what pre-ran. I don't know. And we were going to have that this year. Then we got a separate request to have a world record attempt on Friday night. So we added the world record attempt. Yeah, but then we also got some requests from the, he didn't say whom, but I assume it would be the Ethiopians, from people just asking to change the two mile to a, back to a five to a 5,000 because people need fast times to get into worlds, either the standard for a lot of the field or Ethiopia generally picks their team by the fastest times. Worlds is earlier this year. That kind of makes sense to me. Robert, but, and I guess thing. what doesn't make sense to me is, well, if you're going to have a 5,000, why not just put it all on Friday night? But I guess it wouldn't be part of the Diamond League schedule. The Diamond League meeting is technically all Saturday. Well, that That is my question, is are they allowed to just shift a Diamond League event from the TV window on Saturday to the Friday night? And I've seen, this happens, like, sometimes, I guess the London Diamond League used to be two days. They kind of got rid of that meet. But, like, well, yeah, we see the shot put will be downtown sometimes that are... Diamond League events, I feel like they would have been able to say, hey, we're just going to run the 5K on Friday night, uh, and it's still going to be a Diamond League 5K, and we're just going to fold it in with this world record attempt. I feel like that would have been possible, but if they're prevented by doing it for Diamond League rules, okay, I can't actually accept that explanation. But I just don't like we've got the Olympic champion, Cheptegei, in his own race, and then we've got Aragawi, Borrega, Tefera in some other race. But I don't know if you saw it afterwards, John. Mohamed told me I wanted to be in the world record race. They wouldn't let me do it. So I'd also been hearing Scuttlebutt that like, nope, they didn't want anyone to the guy's race. Or maybe he didn't want anyone or Josh Hermans didn't want anyone. I don't know why. Don't want to lose. I mean, we saw Gade lose her race. So I don't know. I don't like these set up concepts of if, if Freeze holding a race, they should be allowed. And they're being held. Anybody who wants in it should be allowed to get into it. If they're good enough. Yeah. I mean, the, this is a story here. The Olympic silver medalist wants to race the Olympic gold medalist, and he's told at a meet which is held by his sponsor, and he's told he can't get into it. I mean, that's pretty lame. Oh, you make it sound pretty simple. So, yes, Olympic gold medalist wants to, wants to run against silver medalist. It should be allowed. And the other thing that we wrote an article on about was, you know, a lot of people, basically every Nike athlete's expected to be at this meet. They hype them up in being in this meet, and then some of them don't show up. And I thought it was completely unprofessional that there was no explanation given why some of these people were not running. And I said, where is our thing? Mo? she's not here. I know, but you know why? I can't, uh, no, I, I can't tell you. You can't tell me you don't know. We never speak for the athlete's behalf. And I'm like, this would never happen in another sport. It's out, I actually think a lawyer could sue the meat if they really wanted to. Like, you promote something as, come buy Robert, tickets. Please, come on, Robert, please. Don't even waste your time with that. What do you mean? 
Robert, come on, just stick to the facts. Let's keep going. Don't just say stupid stuff. I'm not saying something stupid. Robert, they said she was out of the meat, so you can't sue. They don't owe you a reason or anything. It's professionalism to give a reason. You guys wrote an article saying, why isn't she in the meat? We want to know. I think within about an hour, a reason came out for the thing most saying she's recovering from COVID. So it, it's all we the system for. sort of worked this way. Negative media pressure made her put out a statement. I, I think fans deserve to know when a major athlete skips. The biggest distance star in the U.S. right now is not running the premier pro track and field meet in America. If, if that happens, there should be a reason given. And it seems like after you guys published that article, they agreed. So we don't need to say any more about that. Well, I just think people were ripping up us on the message boards, like saying, you're totally criticizing a thing, Mo. How dare you condemn her? Like, it's ridiculous. You're just slandering her and everything. It's like, no, we wrote a story saying that she's not in the meet and there's no explanation, which is a big story. If a major American track star doesn't run a meet and no explanation is given, that's a big deal. And then she gave an explanation, makes sense, explains it. That's really all we were looking for. We were not trying to throw a thing Mo under the bus. We just were trying to ask for a level of professionalism from either her representative or the meat management, both of whom could have provided an explanation here. Right. I'm not blaming her, but I'm just saying if you expect people to pay $50 a seat to come to this thing, treat it like a real professional sport and treat the fans with respect. I think the general idea is, oh, they'll just show up because this is Track Town USA and they love track. Well, anyway, back to this Arigawe run when I was looking at the results. I was just amazed. I'm like, what? A guy won the 5K by 16 seconds? That just doesn't happen in this era with that field. And it's still crazy. I still don't think of a Mohamed as like the Olympic silver medalist. I guess perhaps I should. He's very good at the five. It's not like something you could inter- choose to interpret it. He's the, the silver medalist. He is the silver medalist. He's the silver medalist. He wants to race the the gold medalist who happens to have the world record. Like that should be encouraged, encouraged yes. on all fronts. Like this is what's wrong in some ways with our sport, right? Like this actually might be a first. This might be the first. Well, we probably have, but no, the athletes didn't didn't want to race. Like you have one. Athlete running 100, another athlete running another 100. Well, in that situation, they actually didn't want to race each other. This could be a first in the history of track and field. We had two athletes, Olympic and gold silver medalist. Oh, actually, how do we know? Uh, interesting. Chepta guy might not want to race them. Well, we that, need to reach out to Chepta guy's camp and find out if he said no. That seems to oh, be the assumption gosh. is that Chepta guy or maybe the meat management didn't want Chepta guy to lose. But how, how ironic is it, though? That it's a member of the Bauman Track Club, who they they're famous for siloing and doing their own private time trials and everything. He it's actually Mohamed of Bauman who wants to race the Olympic champ, and he's being prevented to, from doing so. Weld's always accusing me of being negative, but how is it? Those are the easier stories to write. I don't know how, how is this not a story. We need to write this story. An Olympic silver medalist wanted to race the gold medals at the Bauman Classic, but was not allowed to. Then we have we just quote Mo. And then we ask, we, we ask for a comment from the meat management. That's it. They're going to think that we're dicks. I'm not trying to make them look bad. I had a great time there. It's a great meet. But I, I just, I don't know. You can't take the fans for granted. Okay. A few, we got through pretty much all of our win- Oh, wait. All right. One winner I wanted to mention here. Look, On Athletics Club has to be a big winner from this weekend. Look what this team accomplished. They won the men's 10,000 U.S. championships. Joe Klecker upsetting 
the American record holder, Grant Fisher. I don't think anyone predicted that. Alicia Monson gets second in the 10,000 on the women's side after leading most of the race. Very impressive run by her, but Carissa Schweizer did beat her for the win. And then Oliver Hoare gets second in the Bowman Mile. Even Sage Herder in the 800 got a personal best, ran 159. I mean, it's just, it can't be understated. This team, they built it from nothing in 2022. Sorry, 2020. They signed a bunch of the top college athletes from that year thinking, hey, this might be an opportunity. Some of the other companies aren't going to be spending as much. There's some question marks because we didn't get to see NCAA indoors or NCAA outdoors in 2020. We don't know how great these people are going to be. They put a lot of money and invested in that class. They built a team around Joe Klecker, who never won an NCAA title at Colorado. They built the team in Boulder. They had Ritz, the coach, that he signed off on. That was a major gamble. And now, two years later, he's a U.S. champion. I just think... I'm continued to be very impressed by what Dathan Ritzenhain and those athletes have put together, and this was a great weekend for them. It's hard to say you're wrong, John. I don't like it when you bow down to a coach younger than me, but if you, and I was going to say, please stop this nonsense. I actually typed that up next to your notes when I saw you were going to go here. But the more I think about it, if you had asked me a week ago, Klecker's going to win the 10,000, I said, nope. And, and Hoare's going to get second in the, in the mile. I would have said, nope. Now, Monson getting second, come on. I mean, I, I, w- I would have expected that, but she's doing well. So good job to them. Let's talk about some of what, these 10,000s. Whoa. Am I not allowed the 10,000s? Everyone wants to hear from me. I'm the 10,000-meter expert. If you told me Joe Klecker was going to get second in the race with 100 meters to go, I would have laughed at you. Even coming down the straight, he doesn't – he's kind of tall. I don't know if tall is the right word. Just I just thought that wouldn't happen. And – I think I've alluded to the story, but I never told the full story, but it's coming out now. Jordan Donnelly, who works for On, I saw him. He was at the Milrose press conference. So we were talking about the group, and they're doing well. And Craig Mosbach was there, who's now you know the former NBC announcer, former head of USA Track and Field. Now he's the head of like Nike running. And it's sort of at the end, Jordan. I said, Craig, did you know Jordan... He didn't know him. And Jordan kind of says, like, hey, Craig, we're coming for you. And I kind of laughed. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, Nike's scared, man. But I got a text from Jordan kind of alluding to that comment after the races on, what was it, Friday night? And you can't do much better. I, I guess Alicia could have won. And also for the record, do we have do we go there? Are the on shoes better than the Nike shoes? Because that's what everyone said about the Nike shoes. So What? In the 10K, they were on spikes. People were speculating they wore Nike spikes. I texted Jordan and it's like, I showed him the thread where someone said, oh, that's probably, they've probably really sewed on the Nike upper or something, sewed on 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 the Nike shoe or whatever to make it look good. And that's not the case. The 10,000 meter runners, Ollie was not wearing an on shoe, I don't think. His shoe isn't ready yet. Production error issues or something. But the 10K runners were wearing the Cloud Spike 10,000 meters. So to me, I, I honestly, I just hope the shoes are all equal. We should never be having this discussion. But when it was the other way, and for sure people thought they had an unfair advantage, people said oh, the Nike shoes better, and they were. So now throw it out this way, or at least say, thank God, hopefully there's a level playing field. Yeah, I hope it's level. I, I mean, at the very least, it seems like 
they're very comparable. They could could be better. It's possible. Right? Yeah, we don't we don't know, we don't have enough data on that. But wait, one thing I wanted to say about Joe Klecko, well then, you mentioned this like he just didn't look like he was going fast on that last lap at all. Like he closed the race in one fifty five and fifty four for his last lap. But I'm watching on the home straightaway. I'm like. Grant Fisher was turning it over so much faster, it looked like, and he's just, like, pumping his arms, and Joe just kind of has, like, this longer, lankier stride. I'm like, how is Joe out sprinting him right now? It didn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it, but, like, Joe Klecker is the... He's got to be one of the fastest, slower-looking runners out there. Like, Albert Courier is the other guy in the marathon where he just lumbers along, but he's running 208 pace. It's kind of crazy to me, but congrats to Joe on the t- on the title. Correct me if I'm wrong. I swear Joe was like looking over down the home stretch. Am I imagining that now? He might have, but I, I can't tell you. For, I can't correct you for sure or not. I just kept thinking in my mind, oh, he, he's wondering when he's going to get beat here. And it, it never happened. Great for him. And I was saying beforehand, there's some thread. And it's like nothing represents Bowerman. Actually, I got it right here. Nothing says Bowerman Track Club like dot, 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 2633 time trial, 2821 actual race, second place. When I think of Bowerman, I think of this. Uh, but, but in <laughs> fairness, John, I, I... That's absurd. They show, up and, they show up and kill it at USA's every year. The idea that they can only do it in time trials is just ridiculous. We, we've actually ripped them before COVID for not ever racing. They, they've had some fast time trials, but what is Moa Med known for? Mohamed is known for not running fast in the circuit, but winning a medal every time. So, like, it's funny to pile on the Bowerman Track Club, I guess, kick people while they're down. But to me, they had a pretty good meet. And let's talk some more about this men's, both these races, I thought. Ten, the world record attempts were kind of fizzles. Well, definitely fizzles, I guess. I mean, but these 10,000s were amazing. The win, the battle for the win between Fisher and Klecker was great. And then the battle for third between Bohr and McGordy was pretty cool too. To be honest, I had no idea that Clarker won this race and I was not the only member of the media that didn't do that. Should I say her name? I guess she's a nice person. We'll say it. Sarah Ward's Butler is also down there in the mix zone with me. And we were just watching on TV and I was, I'm like, okay, Fisher's on his shoulder or whatever. He's going to blow him away. And we were watching third and there was a big gap between Emmanuel Bohr coming off the final turn and everybody else. And I forgot who I was watching with, but I was like, yeah, he's ahead, but he's got no kick. If he ties up, watch out. And that's when he started to tie up. You could see him drifting. So I was so into that that I missed. I had no idea the clicker won. I couldn't believe it. So are you blind? Like interesting. Were you guys, did you guys, were you guys watching the third? Like, did you see him well, tying no, up? No, 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 Robert. I totally understand because I was watching the battle for the win. And then I look over and I see, Emmanuel Bohr's splayed on the floor. I don't even know who got third place because I was focused on the Klecker Fisher battle. It's very hard to watch two things in simultaneously in one race. I guess you're right, but that shows how dismissive Robert was of of uh, Joe Klecker's chances, right? He's like, "Oh, this one's wrapped up. I'm gonna. F- you only have so much attention span." So, congrats to Joe. The battle for third was crazy. Because uh, Emmanuel Bohr's in lane one at the start of the turn. He starts drifting out. He's like looking. Now, talk, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. For sure, he was looking. He's like looking around like... Polchalimo like, school of, of drifting there. It's not good. Just get to the finish. I think he could have made it if he wasn't like so freaked out that he was tying up. Like, uh, it, 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 
when you're that worried about tying up and tying up at the same time, it's like a cascading effect. I think like you have no chance. Oh, it definitely screwed with him well then because he, as soon as he saw McGordy was coming for him, he immediately focused more on trying to block off McGordy. And I think I watched it a few times and the, my first takeaway was he would have actually beaten McGordy if he had just taken the straight line. But with how much he was tying off, I don't think, I think McGordy would have got him just at the line anyway. But that's why, you know, he, he cost himself time. And I think it probably is one of the reasons why he fell at the end is because he was going back and forth. And then McGordy, once Emmanuel started drifting out, McGordy cut inside and Emmanuel tried to drift back inside to block him still because he was still ahead of McGordy when he fell. So I think, you know, at that point, you just got to focus on trying to get to the finish line as fast as possible, which he did not do. And I think the other big thing from this race is Woody Kincaid dropping out. Woody Kincaid, who has one more national title than Grant Fisher, who I still can't believe has one less national title than Joe Klecker. I don't even know what point of the race, but he just started grimacing real sudden, and then I think a lap later was out of the race. Bad cramp, apparently. You don't see that very often at this level. I'm kind of curious, right? Look like in high school, you know, you're running, you would get cramps in races. Do we learn how to deal with it better or we, we don't get cramps as you get better? You rarely see an athlete taken out of a race of this caliber, this level because of a cramp. Yeah, sometimes you hear about it in marathons, but in a 10K, it's weird. And I'd be interested to hear from Woody if he has an explanation for what he thinks caused it. But Robert made this excellent point is two of the big storylines here were Woody Kincaid, the defending champion, dropping out midway through, and then Elise Cranny in the women's race, she withdraws the day before the race, saying that she had her training had not been going well. You know, she didn't think she was ready to come and compete. If those things don't happen, maybe we these big stories about the battle for third, they're not even stories at all because Kincaid would have a great chance to make the team, and Cranny definitely would have been ahead of Infeld and Natasha Rogers in that women's race. So you get these great stories, but you need, you know, we sometimes forget, we're like, oh yeah, they made the team. And when we look at this like 10 years from now, we'll be like, oh yeah, they made the team in 2022. But you kind of forget some of the other things that go into it, right? Without a doubt. I mean, we haven't talked about the women's race, but Swiser, good for her, comes back from the surgery, blasts Monson over the last whatever it was, destroyed her, right? Wins convincingly, Monson's second. But the battle for third was amazing. Come on, you're acting like destroyed her. I don't know. All these like diehards, they love it when somebody pushes. Alicia Monson led what 3,850 meters of this race with Chris Weiser just sitting on her. A lot of people don't like that. And then she destroyed her like the last hundred. But you act like it was just like no contest, the final 400, which isn't the case. I mean, they were battling with 200 to go. Schweizer tried to pass on the inside there, I think, and Munson didn't let her and came around on the turn. And the last hundred, it wasn't that close, but it, it was a great battle, like the f- total last 4K. And then they destroyed sec- third and fourth place. And then, as you said, J- Robert, the battle for third was amazing. Yeah, I mean, Munson deserves a lot of credit. They instantly dropped the rest of the field. She did a lot of the work. And I think if Fisher had done that, he would have been the victor easily in the men's fight, 10,000. But. The, I didn't watch the, again. This was just like the women, the the uh, the men's race. I didn't watch that. I, I this is the one race that I watched in the stadium the entire weekend because it was the first one, and 
we were watching the battle for third. I was watching with an agent. The whole time we were debating who's going to get third. From the beginning, I said, well, it's going to be Monson and Schweizer up top. Who's going to get third? And I felt bad because we don't, I don't think we mentioned the name Natasha Rogers on our pre- preview podcast, did we? And this agent's like, she closed really well in that California race, that 15-0 race. It was like a 63. And pretty much it was all the players we thought, like Kaladi, Enfield, and, and um, Rogers. Kaladi gets dropped. And this was exactly like the men's race with Fisher and, and Klecker. Went with Fisher on Klecker's shoulder with 100 meters to go. You think it's over. Same thing with Enfield. Enfield's known for her kick. She kicked for that medal. And she's right on Rogers' shoulder. And just they run side by side. And then Enfield briefly got like a tiny bit ahead. And then Rogers came back on her. It was that was incredible, but yeah, it, this is, I thought this, I thought Natasha really deserved this 2012. In case you don't know the history, she finishes second, second at the trials. She beat Shalane Flanagan. She doesn't get to go to the Olympics because she didn't have the standard. And you weren't allowed to chase the standard. And then here we are 10 years later. She's finally pinched her ticket to worlds. Congratulations to Hanson's Brooks, Keith and Kevin Hanson's first track world championship member. By the way, Keith and Kevin, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Talk about your team. If you want to join the coaches series, just email Jonathan Galt at letsrun.com. But um, yeah, this is great for both of them, I thought. I mean, for Natasha, Natasha, obviously, like 10 years later, I thought her best days were sort of behind her, and she's sort of resurrected her career with the Hansons. And also, it's sort of crazy to think. I mean, they've had Des Linden. They've had a Boston Marathon champion. They had Brian Sell make the Olympic team as well the marathon this is one of america's like most well-known running groups and forget about a u.s track champion you know we're praising on for coming on having a championship grant fisher doesn't have a championship they've never had someone make the team she shows how hard it is to make these teams and also you know how good distance running is but it, it's great that they got one because also it shows when I mean, we had this coaching series and i think it was danny mackie right he's like is it the athlete who makes the coach or the coach who makes the athlete? And he's like, the coach makes the athlete. You know, I can improve someone. No, he said the percent. other way around. Yeah. Oh, what? Well, he said the athlete makes the coach. Well, that's what I meant. I guess I didn't it's say not what that. you said. <laughs> yeah, he said the athlete makes the coach. He's like, I can improve someone. What was it? 2%, 2% I think. Yeah. So now the Hansons with Natasha, I guess they have a, a 98 percenter and they almost made her a hundred, but Hey, I mean, but what they did with Des Linden coming out of college, nobody knew she was, was that good. They deserve a lot of credit for helping, you know, obviously foster her career, but it just shows her. track teams. It's a slightly different subset also than making the marathon. Yeah. I mean, they go for 10 K types in college or cross country types who can eventually have success in the marathon. They're not targeting the people and the, those usually aren't the people who are winning NCAA titles or whatever. You know that you need a kick to win NCAA's and place highly. So, if you're not getting those top athletes, yeah, you're probably not going to get people who are going to be making teams. And I will point out, they'd never had someone on a world outdoor team or an Olympic team on the track. But world indoors 2010, Des Linden made the team for the United States in the 3,000 meters. So. I think a lot of people forget that about Des because of all the success she's had in the marathon. But one year before finishing second at the Boston Marathon, she was on the world indoor team in the 3K. That is impressive. And younger fans, when you hear Weldon Johnson talking, I don't think he's 
hyped himself up. He's fourth placer at USA's in 2001 and 2003. So he knows what Emily Enfield and Emmanuel Bohr are feeling right now. Well, actually, Bohr didn't end up finishing fourth. I don't think he, he was, was nipped like at the line. Something. But, yeah. I didn't have the standard there already. Well, don't let the facts get in the way of a good narrative. One thing I wanted to say about this, I loved having this meet on the, these championships on Friday night of the pre-classic. I thought if you had just kept them there and you take out the world record attempts, that's the perfect way to do distance night of the pre-classic. You have these two 10Ks. Look, I know the attendance was not great, and I think part of that is because they charge for the events on Friday night, but... I really, really enjoyed it. You kind of, If you have that as a standalone thing, it gets people invested in the 10K instead of having it at like the very end of day one at USA's on like a Wednesday night. Oh, sorry, Thursday night. I think they should do this again for 2023. I would be all for... I guess they can't. The pre-classic is at the end of the season next year um, because it's the Diamond League final. But moving forward, I'm in favor of having... Pre classic Friday night be the US 10,000 trials, uh, you know, a, a, a once or twice more. I, you guys don't like this move? Absolutely not. There's way too many meets in Eugene. <sighs> Share it around. Put it in Portland, Maine at the Portland. They used to have a main distance classic. Put it in Mount Sac. Put it at, put it in Ithaca, New York. People will show up if you put it in Ithaca, New York. Promise you they would. Okay. I, I guess. It doesn't have to be Eugene. I looked, I like having it the pre-classic, but I liked having this as a standalone thing to get excited about. My worry is, though, Ithaca, New York, some people will show up. I don't think it's going to be more than it was at pre. If you're going to have it as a standalone thing, though, you need to make sure it's going somewhere where there's going to be an atmosphere. If it's going to be outside of Eugene, I want to make sure people are showing up. You need to give it to the right meat management, You know, get Jesse Williams in charge of it or something like that, or Rich Kanara, someone who's put on these sort of events before and can actually get some excitement around it. But I, I do, do what do you guys think about like the standalone 10 K event? Are you, are you for that or against that? I think it ended up being a good thing. I think initially I was probably against it. It's like, you want to be ready for the nationals. I would have never been ready, John. My, all I could do is, you know, most people peak too early, so they're not ready when the nationals rolls around in June. But, these athletes now can double back easier in the five if they want to try to do that. It gave it its own little focus, although it was part of the pre and the world record. But for it's they still the ten k still got more attention they would have being part of the big USA meet. I feel like so I like that aspect of it. I guess I'm fine with it being its own weekend. I wanted to be top billing though. I don't want it to be the undercard for some world record attempts that weren't that thrilling in hindsight. But Back to these races and about, I mean, I, I guess I'll tell this story. I wasn't sure if I should tell it, but I bumped into Jerry Schumacher in the concourse pre, and no, I didn't ask him if Shelby was dirty or anything like that. We briefly talked about my thoughts on it, et cetera, but I was mainly talking about this race. I was like, I said, well, we're talking about 10,000. I said, well, one of the coolest things was I feel like it's cool Sean McGordy got in that team and really like Natasha Rogers getting in that team. But I said exactly what you did, John. Like, hey, if Enfield's in that race, she's taking a spot. I mean, not Enfield. If uh, Elise Craney's in that race, she's taking a spot. Natasha isn't a feel-good story. And then I'm like, I was trying to figure out if, if Woody Kincaid was in shape because these guys were talking about 
you know, McGordy was saying like in practice how they go back and forth. Some of these guys, it sounded like Fisher's a step above them, and he was the only one that could finish the workout. Maybe he and the med. And Jerry's giving him crazy hard workouts. They can't even finish ten days before. So I said, hey, if Woody had been in that race, you know, you think he would have been up there for third? He's like third. That race was made for when it Woody. So, slow race, big kick. Woody Kincaid's probably your winner. And I think, you know, it's interesting. In hindsight, the they said that the, the, the team tactics Fisher told me was just wait for the last lap. Now there's this threat, you know, Grant Fisher deserved to lose. And for not pushing the pace. But if the team tactics just wait to then, I mean, that's he's definitely getting the team with his kick. I think the problem was he didn't have the lead heading into the last lap. And apparently he told Jerry Schumacher that, hey, I felt amazing. I felt like I could go all out with 200 meters to go. And apparently what Jerry told him is, well, guess what? So do other people when it's that slow. You know, it's just not about who you can. You can only, it kind of gets to the idea that you can only close so fast over a final 200. It is an advantage to have the lead. Yeah, but I think that's a little bit of a misrepresentation of what happened here because the last lap was not... I don't know what their last 200 was, Robert, but the last lap was 54-81. You can definitely close faster than that. I know they ran a 60 before that, but I guess there were two takeaways for me on how Fisher ran is, look, his, his job's just to get here on the team. Like, if he medals at Worlds and he's only second at USA's, he's going to take that every time. But... You know, did did this race make me think it's more or less likely that he medals at Worlds? Well, definitely less likely because he couldn't outkick Joe Klecker and Joe Klecker is not going to be in the medal hunt in Eugene. So from that aspect, I look at it, yeah, maybe that's it's not a great sign for Fisher, but at the same time, you know, he, if his strategy is just to get on the team, well, mission accomplished there. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a great thread. Whoever started it should be commended. Well, then, did you start that thread? I love the anonymity of Let's Run dot com. Can, can we start talking about the attendance, or we're going to do our losers first? Uh, I well, I think that's part of our losers. But there is one more winner I wanted to address. I know we've been doing this section for a while, but Hobbs Kessler. To me, he was an absolute winner, even though he was only fifth in the B section of the 1500. But, you know, his races to this point hadn't been super, he hadn't looked super impressive. He was off the pace at Mount Sac a couple weeks ago. He got beat by Ben Flanagan in a 1500 in Columbus, Ohio, back in April. So he's talking to Robert the day before the race. He's saying, no, I think I'm ahead of where I was last year. And, you know, I'm feeling good about things. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, the results are not showing that. Well, they're starting to show it now because, okay, he did run 334 this time last year uh, at, what was it, the Portland Track Festival or wherever he, he ran that high school record. He was only 336 in this race, but that's certainly an output trajectory. 336 with the way the American 1500 scene is right now, there's no Centro. We don't know what we're going to get from the goose. It's really Hawker and Tier and everyone else. Hobbs Kessler, I'm now starting to think he could actually make this team this year. And I know, look, he got beaten by Vincent Ciotti, another American, and Sam Prakel. Vincent Ciotti quite convincingly and Prakel in this race. But again, Ron Warhurst knows what he's doing. This time, they've actually got a plan. Hey, USA is the meet we're going to peak for. He's ranked 336, and we know he can close. 
This was a big step forward. I came away thinking this was this was a great sign for Hobbs Kessler. I'm sort of shocked, John, you're saying that. I mean, I hadn't really noticed him till now in the results. But I think a good thing for Hobbs is there's, you know, you have Cooper Tier, you have Cole Hawker, these other guys running pretty well. People are talking, where's Centro? I mean, now we know with his knee injury. But I feel like there's not the pressure that there was on Webb. Hobbs is cashing that big check, rightfully so. And if he can just stay grounded, think two, three years down the road, enjoy what happens this year. I guess this gets him into USA's. Oh, yeah. So just think long-term. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. You don't have to run 334 every single time out. And it sounds like that's what he's doing. I mean, when he talked to Rojo at the day before the meet, he seemed happy, like how things were going. Wasn't too overly focused whether he was even going to be in USA's, it sounded like. You know, he's like, I think I'm, I'm running really well. I'll make it, but it is what it is. I like the outlook. I'm just thinking, like, how many times have we been at USA's and, you know, you've got a battle for the top two. This year it's going to probably be Tier and Hawker. And then there's someone who was, like, seventh with 100 to go. And then suddenly, oh, my God, this person came out of nowhere and they ran down people and they got third. You know, I've seen that on the men's and women's side of USA's so many times. I think Hobbs Kessler could absolutely be that guy. And another guy I forgot to mention, Craig Engels. Like, there is so, of the top four from the Olympic trials last year, Cole Hawker is the only one who we really feel confident is going to be a major factor. Nagus could be if he can get healthy, but Engels really hasn't been doing anything, didn't race at Pre over the weekend. Centro's out. I mean, it's going to be a very different 1500 team this year. Robert's always bragging how he knows Craig Engels' high school coach. What's up with Craig Engels, Robert? Like, he wasn't even in the B race at Pre. I'm not sure. Craig and I took a selfie together at the media hotel. He was there at the media hotel, so I assumed he was running, but he was never on the start list. So what did I know? I briefly took a selfie, and apparently he signed some autographs. So, Wow, that, wow that's grounds for revoking a credential, a selfie with an athlete, yeah. Robert. No, John, I understand what Rojo was doing. He took the selfie to send to his buddy, right? Like It was a personal moment. It wasn't just a selfie with an athlete. It was more, I'm with your boy to the athlete. To the okay, coach. okay. I can, you know, yeah. I can accept that as opposed to like, oh, I want a selfie to frame on my mantle and get it autographed by my my favorite little Craig. Uh, okay. Yeah, time to get negative here. Not everyone can be a winner in track and field. And even some of our winners weren't winners of their races. They were just guys we put as winners. But I think there are kind of two categories here. There is... Well, is there even like some of them? Like, I just don't understand. Some of these are just puzzling performances. Like, Laura Muir, what happened to her? She was up near the front of that chase pack for quite a while in the women's 1500 and then just finishes way off the pace. Like, I look at the results afterwards, she's 11th in 404. I, this is the Olympic silver medalist. Do, do we have any idea? I mean, I, I don't think you talked to her afterwards, but. That just to me is baffling that oh, she's run 355. You know, I know Kipigon ran 352, but I expected her to be, you know, beating Gabriella Dubuque-Stafford or Sinclair Johnson, who's another big winner, by the way, 358 personal best for her in this race. But like Laura Muir and then also the American Josette Norris, she ran 359 last year, third in the Diamond League final. She was 13th in 406. Those were, were two of my losers from that women's 1500. 
Well, looking at this race, I totally was focused on the top two, Kipiega and, and Segei. And I expected if anyone else could run with them, it'd be Laura Muir and then a drop off to everybody else. And I, I don't know how we left off Sinclair Johnson, John. I think she's a huge winner from this meet. I think she deserves praise. She switched groups. She's now with P. Julian, right? So, like, I mean, it's clicking on all cylinders. You told me she's going to beat Ellie St. Pierre by over a second and run 3.58. I mean, it doesn't get much faster in the U.S., John. She could win USAs, absolutely. Uh, and I think Paria St. Pierre, to give her some credit, now it wasn't over a second. She ran 3.59.68. Sinclair was 3.58.85. Ellie was also, it sounded like she had been dealing with a bad case of COVID fairly recently. So to come back and run 3.59 after that, that, that's why I think Heather McLean wasn't in this race is because she's probably still, they both had COVID pretty badly and are getting over it. So I don't think that's a bad race at all by Ellie Puria St. Pierre. But yeah, Sinclair Johnson, terrific. And I think it kind of shows to join the Bowman Track Club as a Myla, you need to be a certain type of Myla. They can have success with guy with metal women in that event, but if you're a Kate Grace or a Sinclair Johnson who is an 815 type, Bowman Track Club's probably not for you. You're probably not going to... It's just not the way Jerry does his training, and that's fine, and Sinclair realized that after one year, but you know, I think we just have the evidence. They're, they're a strength-based program, and if you're a speed-based 1500 runner, you should probably be training elsewhere. Did you hear my interview with her, John, when I said, but aren't you benefiting from all the strength work you did last year? Well, yeah, she did say yes, but like, okay. Do, do, you, wait, do you think if she stuck it out with Schumacher, she'd be running 358 right now? I don't know. I, I have two questions. And, and I, I, again, I talked about the story of my famous 800-meter runner at Cornell who ran like 150 or 151 in high school. We tried to bump him up to mile training. He was terrible. He was running like 158. So we went back to the sprint training by lap. But if he stuck with it for three years, maybe he can do that. I mean, Jerry, I don't know. I did not talk to him about this, but maybe his thought process is if you want to run 355, 356, you've got to get stronger. You know, maybe this is good for running 359. I'll be curious. Does she run faster next year? Maybe, or is she benefiting from the base she did last work this year, but it's going to wear off by next year? Or in two, does she ever run much faster? But it was great. I mean, she took the control of her own thing, says this isn't working for me. She said she was friends with Craig Jingles. She knew how the training was different, and Craig kind of told her what they do, and she's thriving. It was a really good race for her. For Laura Muir, I don't know. I mean, she did win the Birmingham Diamond League Ford. Well, I remember seeing the times. Like, up until this week, I'm like, no one's breaking four this year. No one in the world broke four, and then, like, what, seven, eight women broke four at Pre. So Laura Muir did beat Jessica Hull in Birmingham, and then Jessica Hull ran 359 at Pre. So – just a bad race. I think she's banged up. I don't think she's clearly in the shape that she was last year, but let's talk about the race up front. I mean, Faith Kipiagon. I mean, I told John, even this is before the race, like she's the greatest female mile ever. And people say, we don't have stars in track and field. Well, maybe just because the media is, maybe we, we, we need to do a better job. She's the greatest woman's mile ever. Elaine Thompson Harris, is that the greatest sprinter ever? Female sprinter? Mm, I still have Fraser Price ahead of her. Elaine Thompson had two great years that happened to be Olympic years, but the consistency I'd go with Shalane. It's with Shelly and Fraser Price. Rarely do I get excited as a member of the media to see people. When I was in New York and Bakili was there, I was like, shit, I'll, should I take a selfie with them? I did not. 
and the Craig Ingalls thing was not me taking a selfie with a fan. It was just it was me. If I saw my friend's friend in the parking yeah, lot, yeah, 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 I, I get it, I get it. But my thrill. What, what, what's the thing when the famous Mia member said oh, I had a tingle in my spine? Some conservative mean, but I forgot. Tingle my leg or something. You don't know what I'm talking about. I'm John? not up on my conservative memes, Robert. I'm afraid. Anyways, I had a thrill of a lifetime when I was in line for the portal ad at the the media area, the closest bathroom. I guess is the one we're allowed to use with the athletes. And I go back there, and right in front of me, warming up for the race, Faith kept Yeager, and I was like, "It's like, hey, good luck." I almost felt <laughs> oh like saying, God. "You're the greatest ever." Do you realize how good you are? And then she just went out there and ran three fifty three. 352. 352. She needs to go for that world record. And I asked her about that. She said she wants to get it. So I thought she might get it in this race. I was like, yeah. with how determined she was kicking on that last lap. No, it's, it's amazing. She's broken, I think she's run under 354 five times now, which is the most by anyone in history. Like, yeah, just no debate. She is the greatest female miler of all time. And yeah, that big gap. There was a gap from her to Sagai, and then there was another big gap, Sagai back to GDS in third. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I feel like unless Safan Hassan arrives on the scene at some point this year, that's probably going to be, it's going to be Kipigon. It's going to be like that at Worlds. You know, Kipigon's better than Sagai. Sagai's better than everyone else. And there's just that gap. All right. Other losers. Uh, from the pre-classic, Robert. That's just uh, the randomness of whether you're an Olympic medalist too. If if Sagai, if she runs the fifteen hundred last year, right? She beats Lormier, right? Well, Lormier was second though, so Lormier beat Hassan. So that would just bump Muir back down to third. Did Muir beat Hassan? Yes. Huh. Anyways, and Sagai was an Olympic medalist in the five k anyway, so. Um... Other losers, I mean, I had Paul Chalimo as a loser here. And I, look, I've seen him have an off meet and then come back and win US titles. I'm not totally writing him off here, but I'm worried because it's not just this meet. It's he ran Nairobi in the 1500 a few weeks ago. He ran 341. Okay, that's at altitude. So maybe. Give him a couple seconds. It's not. It's nothing too impressive. But I didn't care. Like that result didn't worry me at all. I'm like, okay, he's gonna run the five k at pre. He's a five k runner. Well, he dropped on after a mile in this race. And yes, Aragawi up front ran twelve fifty. But the runner up Samuel Tafera ran thirteen oh six. Paul Shalimo should be able to handle three weeks out or a month out from USA's. He should be able to handle one mile or more than a mile of five k pace at thirteen oh six. So. Are you, guys, are you guys worried about him? I mean, this is just a poor performance. He didn't want to talk to you. As he, he said everything was fine when he was walking through the mix zone, Robert. That's all he said to you. But I, I'm a bit concerned by dropping out so early into a 5K like this. Well, I'm more concerned that he hasn't raced at all. But, yeah, he came through the mix zone, didn't want to talk, but he said all was well and was kind of smiling. And then I happened to bump into him in the concourse. So... I keep saying I bumped into these people in the concourse, even though I wasn't race, watching races. But a couple of times, one time I ran up to the concourse when I had a minute to see, when I saw the 1,500-meter women's times, I wanted to see how windy it was. And then one time I ran up to, to film how sparse the crowds were. 
So in the mix zone, some people were complaining on YouTube. It got very windy, and you could hear the 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 tent blowing. But we were like that stadium blocks a lot of the wind. Where we were, I was not that the tent might blow over. But it was like when the meet started on Saturday, it wasn't that windy. Halfway through, you could feel the wind picking up. By the end, or maybe even after it was over, I was like, "Is this tent going to blow down?" And that was a very stable tent. Wait a second. They dropped 300 million on a stadium and we're still in a tent for the media. I'm kind of curious what the media setup is because last year at USA's, you had to do videos over Zoom, even if you were there. So it didn't matter. We still got the tents outside. Athletes come through. Is that how it works? Yeah. Seemed no different to me. Well, that's interesting. I want to know how they're going to do it for Worlds then because every World Championship I've covered, well, I guess, no, Doha they had, there was some sort of temporary tent outside the stadium. So that's not true because most of the time you're at Olympics, there are these huge stadiums with multi-levels and the mix zones on the very basement of the stadium. But it'd, be, it'd just be kind of weird to have the mix zone out there as a part of, you know, but I guess they did do it in Doha. That's inside baseball type stuff. No one really cares about that. But other winners and losers, I mean, or losers, the American Steeplers, this was just an awful race for them. Emma Cobham. The winner was Nora Gerudo, 8.57. She looked brilliant. Winfred Yavi, second, 8.58. Only the seventh woman in history to break nine minutes. So they ran great up front, and the Americans, Coburn and Frerichs, I can understand. They backed off the pace early because it was like 2.57 for the first K. Fine. But then they just really couldn't pick it up or anything. Coburn was 8th and 9.18. Ferex 9th and 9.20. I think they'll... I, they're certainly going to improve. Courtney Ferex said she was dealing with some iron issues and had celiac disease and trying to figure out how to manage her diet and all that sort of stuff. But it sounds like she has a handle on it now. So I would expect her to improve. Coburn, it sounded like her training's been going well. Maybe, you know, it's just... As she gets older, it's harder to start at the very top whereas usually she starts a lot faster so i'm not super worried by them but and also they run usually run pretty well in the championships but to get beat by more than 20 seconds uh in at the end of may that's that's not a good sign i mean the celiac disease uh, honestly i know nothing about it but it seems like it's kind of like thyroid not that they're like trying to defeat anything but it seems like a problem that's more common with runners in the general population but whenever I hear it with runners, it never seems to be a good thing. They don't seem to figure it out very well. But that's just 100% anecdotal. No, well, the only... I don't, I feel like I haven't heard it that often with runners, but Steph Bruce in the marathon, I think that was one of her issues, and she... T- uh, yeah, it took her a while, if ever, to get a, a proper handle on it. But I, I feel like I haven't heard that issue very that much. Again, let me play devil's advocate, John. 2017... Ms. Fryrex opened up in May 5th in Doha, 9.54. It's a lot worse than what she ran this weekend. But she was that race, she was sick. She had like soup, food poisoning or something. Like there was a legitimate, clear reason she was not going to be performing in a proper race in that. Okay, what'd she run this weekend then, John? 9.20. And what was the date of the race? May 28th. Don't compare it to last year. Do not do that because... I'm talking about pre. She ran 9:19 at pre, and on May 26, 2017, that was fifth place. It was an 8:58 race. She was she was 20 seconds back of the lead, more than 20 seconds back of the lead. She ended up getting the silver medal at Worlds. Now that was August 11th, so she needs to be about what three weeks ahead of that this week. But 
that's that's a good point, Robert. And that's why I said I'm not as worried about them as Chalimo because I do think I can see them, you know, making progress here. Talking to her, it was interesting to me because she found this low iron level. So her ferritin level, if you listen to the YouTube interview, she gives very details about it. I think she was like in the 30s. And when I first went to altitude, I was like 25. And I talked to, uh, what's his name? Guy Martin Weldon, Dave Martin, and who's now deceased. And he's, uh, he said, that's good. That's not anemic, right? He goes, no, I would never go to altitude unless you're, unless you're at least 40. Because your ferritin level is going to drop when your body's put under pressure being at altitude. And she said USATF doctors are telling her that she, you need to be over 50. So she got through altitude, ran pretty well in the 1440s for 5,000, but then her body just collapsed. But now she's testing. I'm like, I'm surprised you went back to altitude. I wouldn't do that if I was low on iron. But she said she debated skipping it. All right. Is it time to talk about the attendance? I think it is. I guess we've been putting it off so much, but I wasn't very... What do you guys think about Clayton Murphy? Originally, he was a big loser of mine. I read the last post on a message board thread, and they're like, look, Clayton's an 800-meter runner. Forget about him being in a miler. Don't worry about it. He'll be fine. And they also said he has a good YouTube channel now. So, and I, But he got beat by a high schooler. I'm not worried about his mile results, really. It's just, you know, he's an 800-runner. He was like, he was, he's run this meet, what, back in 2019, he made the world's team. He was 10th in this meet. Okay, he ran 354, but I'm just not that concerned uh, about what he does in the mile when he's getting ready to run the 100 at USA's. I'm not either, but I do think it was weird. He celebrated so much when he won that Puerto Rico race at 145. So has the training really been bad? He was shocked that he ran 145. Other loser, if we're talking about Miles, what about Christian Noble? Guy, I mean, I guess he's getting paid now, but he skips the D2 meet, runs 338.95. So he clearly didn't get the standard. Yeah, not the not the pro debut he was looking for. Well, you could argue he was smart. He's getting paid now. I mean, it works both ways, right? Although I guess most of his contract will be on him improving as a pro because he's run good for a college runner, but as a pro... Nothing moves the needle, what he's done so far. But all right, we can go there. We now have a $300 million facility. I don't know why. I just throw that out for everything. I think I said the Nike, the New Balance Indoor facility cost hundreds of millions. We have no idea what this facility actually cost. Well, they've, they've said $200 million has come up in most of the media stories. So I don't know where you're getting the extra $100 million, but I think it's, you can say, safe to say at least $200 million. I don't know what the official attendance was. I think someone said 6,000 something on Saturday, 4,000 on Friday. I can tell you right now, I have it in front of me. It was 4,182 for Friday and 6,447 for Saturday. With the new Hayward Field, I mean, one, is this the lowest attended? We'll just go off the 6,000 figure. Pre classic? I mean, I, I, I didn't even want to say there because I'm not trying to be a complete ass ever. With this new facility, this is the first year fans can come, no restrictions, right? I don't think there's any COVID restrictions in place. The weather, granted, was supposed to be horrific. It's a beautiful facility, as Robert said. The good thing for me is they, they have the like spray painted different seats. So when it's empty, you don't notice that much. 
but there weren't a lot of people there is the big takeaway. Yeah, well then, I do have some of the numbers. I don't have last year's attendance figure, but I emailed a couple of years ago to Tom Jordan, who was the meet director at the time, because I was doing a story on Diamond League and I wanted the attendance. And he said that from 2010 through 2019, 2010 through 2018, which is when the pre-classic was at Eugene, the lowest attendance was 12,188. And he said that they were at 100% of seated capacity each year. Now, the, the 12,000 number also includes officials, athletes, media, coaches, agent, anyone who's in the building. And I think there's reason to be skeptical of those numbers because a few years ago, Ken Go actually of the Oregonian counted the seats in Hayward Field and it was only 8,500. And th this is the original Hayward Field. There's no way there's four thousand or three thirty five hundred like people from the officials, athletes, media. That that just that is not that number. So there's reason to be skeptical. But the f stadium was like close to sold out. The stands were always pretty full when they had it at the old place, which was eighty five hundred. And the new place obviously seats more. It's about twelve thousand five hundred now. Plus they had those temporary seats they put up for the World Championships there. But it was it was nowhere close to that this weekend. And even 6,477, they didn't show the home straight that much, but even that might be, that, you know, maybe they're including athletes and, you know, in that number. But to me, it looked depressingly empty when I was watching on TV. So the upper deck was cordoned off on Friday. Did they do the same on Saturday? They just yes. advanced? Wow. On the back straight. Look, I don't know about the home straight, but the back straight, Yes. Again, I wasn't sitting in the stands, but I could hear the fans. It wasn't a depressing thing. I just like, this isn't going to sell. We, we, we've talked about this before, even in the olden days. The attendance figures were fake. It wasn't always full. Ken go with the article. He said it appeared mostly full. But I remember, John, the year we went, right? We didn't think it was totally full. The very first year when you just joined Let's Run. Didn't you go out there with me? Oh, 2014? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember, honestly. But to, look, to, to me, I, I'm thinking about writing an article. And I'm, well, just, again, I'm always negative, but... Can we just admit that Track Town USA, the new Hayward Field, is not going to save track and field in this country, and that the idea of putting every big meet in Eugene is not a good one? Now, if we held it somewhere else, would you get more people? I'm not saying that you would. What we, what I, what I, what I determined years ago was yes, there's a base in Eugene that likes to watch track, but I said it was like two to three thousand people, max that would show up and like watch an Oregon dual meet, but these are mainly Ducks fans. So it's not like there's 50,000 track fans in that area that want to go. And look, people are smart. Think about it. Let's, they always say these are the smartest track fans in the world. Maybe they are. So if you've got to spend hundreds of dollars on seats and hotels and travel to get to this obscure place, when are you going to do it? Are you going to do it and go watch the preseason match? which is called the Prefontaine Classic, or are you going to watch the Champions League final, which is called the World Championships? You're probably going to wait to the Champions League. But also, if you, if you don't have the money to spend, you might go to, you might have gone to that Oregon Relays, which was free, and have your kid get on to the infield with, I don't know if it's free, actually. Let me take that back. The 4 by mile world record attempt, or you might go to the high school nationals, or you might go to the NCAA nationals, or you might, we, just, we should not have every meet here. It's a joke. And you don't go to a state, you don't go to a move. Oh, let's go. 
what draws you to the movie theater? Is it the new theater? Maybe once. Do you go back because it's a new theater? No, you go back when there's a big, cool movie at the movie theater. The, I mean, the question I have about that, Robert, though, is who else is sticking their hand up and saying they want to host these things? Like NCAAs, I know we had Austin bid for them, and I think it's actually... Austin, the meet was fairly well attended when we went in 2019, so I think they should be having it there more often. They're having it there next year, but... I just, I'm not sure. Maybe this is something I need to dig into, but Sacramento and Des Moines have hosted in the past, but like what other big cities or what other cities with like tracks that can actually host are bidding for this thing? We had Mount Sac. I think Mount Sac would be a good option to start. It would be nice to start seeing some big meets there, but they had the trials in 2020 yanked away from them. Maybe they have cold feet about this sort of thing. So I don't know, but they, they just what, aren't John? that many other options for what? to pursue. What, which meet are you talking about? Bidding for what? Every city would love to have NCAs come to there. The problem is there aren't that many cities that are it's the right weather where it's not super, super hot for distance well, I'm so, What about USAs, Robert? I don't think every city would want to host USAs. I don't think there's a huge demand to host that meet. Well, I think a lot of people would love to have the hotels and people come in and host the meet. They just don't want to have to pay for it. Now, the, the question is, People on the thread were like, we should have it in, in, in Des Moines. I'm like, what do you mean? We've had it in Des Moines a lot. Nobody showed up. No one responded with that comment, right? It's been Des Moines a lot. Yeah, I was just about to say, we've had it in Des Moines and there's been nobody there. So let's not pretend that tracks are real popular in Iowa too. Drake relays are popular. Pin relays are popular. But I'm not convinced if you had a in pin, you'd get a lot of people. Maybe a one-off. I think Mount Sac is obviously the best location in terms of weather. You have it there some of the time. It, the, the sport is what it is, right? So maybe part of the deal also was the old stadium set, 8,000. It wasn't completely full, so maybe 6,000 people were there. And it looked, it looked full on TV. This is a palace. It's beautiful. But I just think we need to realize don't have every meet there because even in Tracktown, USA, it's very limited the amount of people who actually come out to a meet. And people say, oh, there's no hotels, there's no whatever, blah, blah, blah. 40, I think 2,000 people went to the Oregon Spring football game this year. 42,000, I think, or it's over 40. So, Our cousin Alice works in the concert venue in Bend, Oregon. I think they're having, they have a capacity of like 8,000. They're having, I think it's 71 shows this summer. 71 shows in Bend. I don't think Bend's even the size of Eugene, is it? My takeaway from this, though, is this pre-classic seemed not as well attended as, you know, back in the 2010s in the old place. And people have thrown out that, yes, they're hosting four meets this year. But, like, 2016, Eugene hosted the NCAAs, and they hosted the Olympic trials and the pre-classic. I don't remember the pre-classic, no one showing up. I feel like one of the things is maybe a lot of the fans in Eugene are very old, and... Some of them, they're either getting too old to go to the meets uh, or, you know, they just might not be able to go anymore. And it's also, like, for the younger fans, I feel like, you know, there's just more people more... I don't know. Maybe this is a harebrained theory, but I feel like just there are more things to... It's the same reason track in general isn't as popular as it was maybe in the 70s or something. There's more things to distract you. And I think that's probably the case more in 2022 than it was 20 to 2016 to some degree. There's an interesting thread in the forums, you know, people are discussing this, and these are back-to-back posts. One from TNF Nut. I've been a season ticket holder. There's only one place in America where they have actually season tickets for track and field, and I think that's Eugene. 
I've been a season ticket holder for 20 years, not anymore. Tearing down the old stadium was a big mistake. This stuff isn't true what he's saying, though. I wonder if he's making this up. Well, my tickets to New Stadium are basically in the same section that my old seats were in. You sit at least twice as far as the track from before. Ticket prices have escalated dramatically. You can't bring a sandwich in the stadium because they want you to buy $10 hot dogs. Dot, dot, dot. I thought, the whole, I thought one of the selling points of the stadium was how close you are to the track. And I thought the camera angles were amazing on TV because they had these overhead cameras. Anyway, I thought Look that was Look up his great. IP address now, please. Okay, I'll, I'll double check. I would be interested to know because the sight lines, like pretty much look, anywhere in the look, stadium, you're going to get a stop good here. view. Let's, let's, look, I, I didn't want to go out to Eugene because I'm, I'm sick of the track town hype. I'm, I'm skipping worlds. This is the perfect example. There's four meets to go. Even John didn't want to go out there four times. He had to pick one. He said, I'll set this one out. I had to pick one of the four that I wanted to go to. It's super expensive. It's hard to get to. I picked this one. I mean, th th that's the perfect example of like, how much did it cost to get out there? $1,100 for airfare, hotels for a couple nights. And these are people who've never even paid for, a I never paid for a track ticket. Well, I paid for the Olympics when I was in college, but I haven't had to pay for a, 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 a $50 seat for a long damn time. So, look, but this complaint about the stadium, well, look up his IP address as I do this is absurd. I, I filmed it on Twitter when I saw the stadium. I expected the stadium to look amazing. It looks amazing. It reminds me of the old stadium. It's in the exact same damn location. I've got no problem with the stadium. Zero. And I, I've got this uh, email. Maybe I'll shout out his name next time. I don't know if he wants to be anonymous or not. Walked in the stadium. A guy's wearing a stop pre-shirt. Once his picture taken, he took his kids there. He says he was amazed by the stadium. From the athlete's perspective, the new Hayward is even better than the hype would lead you to believe. I talked to a lot of runners. And they love it. Number two, the spectator experience is also amazing. I moved all around from section to section, scoping out the best vantage points for different races, and there are no nosebleeds or obscure views. Number three, I was worried about being able to feel close to the athletes. In the past, we could get just stand on the rail to watch the races. I was very new, worried that would not be the case of the new Hayward. Good news, there were still spots where my kids and I could get down and basically lean out into lane nine. I even took a group of kids down to watch the water jump during the steeple, and we were right in the action. The athletes came up into the stands after the races and mingle with the fans. The guy's got even a – Jacob Ingerbergson took a picture with his daughter. So the fan experience is fine. Maybe the cost is more than they would like. The hot dogs are not $10. I bought a hot dog. I thought everything was very reasonably priced. It was like three – I was shocked how little the hot dog was. It was like 3 or $4, and the Coke was like $3. I was happy to pay that price. And you can use an app and order from your seats. I checked the IP address. The poster – was coming from Eugene, Oregon. So he didn't even have to travel. It doesn't like change, I guess. The very next poster, same thread from Yesery Bob. As someone who saw many great meets and competed at Hayward going back decades, I was dead set against the new facility. To me, it was like tearing down Wrigley. But seeing the new place, I had to admit I was wrong and Uncle Phil was right. It's a fantastic place to see a meet. One of the best, if not the best in the world. Not a bad seat in the house. I have finish line seats for Worlds and can't wait. With the exception of the morning sessions, there are very few seats left. The fact is major championships are expensive to attend no matter where they're held. It's just a fact. That's what I agree with. I think we're all in agreement, sort of. This is a major facility. I want more people there, but they just don't come out. There is a myth of track town. It's, it's somewhat of a myth. Well, it's more than any other town in America, I guess. But... The yes. interesting thing is, Robert, I, the, the the capacity. There's very few temporary seats, right, for Worlds. Correct. Do you think there's three thousand temporary seats? Probably. Okay. You think there's eight thousand? 
No. Yeah, I think the capacity is going to be under 20,000 for the Worlds, which is pretty interesting. So get your tickets. That is another thing, Robert. If you're thinking of traveling, airfare is so ridiculously expensive. People are probably just like, uh, oh, wait. Well, look, do you have a favorite restaurant? Do you eat there every night? No. You want to go once or twice a year. How many times do I go to a baseball game? It's just you got to pick or choose. Why? I, I think the USA tennis is going to be tiny. It's just going to be spectators and agents and athletes. I mean, why, why would you pay to go to USA's when you got Worlds a month later, three weeks later? All right. That it on Prefontaine. We spent a lot of time recapping it, but it was a good, it was a good meet. There was a lot of th- things to discuss about it. Shall we move on? Well, well, yes, let's move on to a couple things I want to talk about. We've not been going enough stuff I want to talk about. Do you guys want to hear my favorite message board thread of the week or post of the week? Start with your post. Let's go. Okay. They need me in the press room just to rabble it up. And I said, hey, Mr. Solomon, 356 is pretty good. There's another high school guy sub four. People would love to see you race Gary Martin. Do you think you'll get a chance to race him? And he said, no. Now, I respect him for this. He's like, I was focused on this mile. This is my big mile. And this is it for me in the mile. I'm going to run the 800 New Balance Nationals. So someone immediately starts a thread. It was not me who started it, saying, Colin Solomon confirms he's ducking Gary Martin. But it is kind of funny. We can't even get the two best high schoolers to race each other in their thing, same event. We can't even get these 800 guys, Will Subner and Kate Fly, to race each other. So it's kind of interesting. So I get it, though. You're focused on this. But he might lose, but who cares? I think that they should encourage it. It would be fun. And teach these kids, losing is okay. But wait, Robert, can I interject here? I'd like to see them racing, but I'm not going to rip high schoolers for not racing each other. That like I'll do that in the professional level. Like if you're dodging people as a pro, I think that's lame. When you're in high school, I know these kids are flying out across the country to do some of these races, but they are also high school amateur athletes and I don't think deserve quite the same level of scrutiny or blame or anything in this situation. So I'm not, I'm not going to bash a kid for not racing out of the top high school. Even if I would love to see Solomon race Gary Martin, I would love to see the race. I also think it's smart. You stick to your, you had your plan. You stick to it. Right. Right. You don't want to be overdone, but and then when I talked to Sean Brosnan, the coach, he's like, look, we talked to Hobbs Kessler. Hive is like, oh, I wish I'd really taken a crack at a fast 800 never did that. Because the milers, you don't really, it's not really your specialty. You don't really know what you could do. So I'm fine with that. But in that thread discussing the ducking, someone posted by, under the name M. Mayagi from, I think this is a Karate Kid reference, says, I think Sean Brosnan has watched enough 80s teen movies to know that the kid with the feathered hair always loses out to the nerdy guy at the end of the movie. No way he lets Solomon race G-Mart. That's just an amazing thread. It's, hey, it's high scores, I know. But by the way, these people are aware of what's being said about them. I know Cops Kessler, he will refer to the message board sometimes, but I'm thinking it's great. He's got a, Warhurst has a plan with them and they're doing well. Well, that's our second terrific analogy because I already made our Bannister Landy comparison between Gary Martin and... Colin Solomon, and now we've got Johnny Lawrence and Daniel Son. So, uh, yeah, nice post there. And my message board throughout the week is this. Could Jacob Ingebrigtsen win every single distance event at USA's? Let's go through it. What are we defining as distance? Well, 
certainly 1500 through 10,000, including the steeplechase. Okay. Okay. Because he couldn't win the 800. Let's just say that right now. Uh, I'm not sure about that. We'll drop down to the 800 last. Let's start with the 10,000. Weldon's a 10,000 expert. You're fourth at USA's twice. I the, the way I define it is, oh, first of all, oh, and someone's like the schedule. No. We're assuming he's running each event as a one-off. It's not like he has to do the schedule. No, like all the runners show up one weekend and they run like 10,000. Then the next weekend they show up and run the five. Could he beat every American runner at that event? I need to know who started this thread. Did you start this thread or someone else's thread? No. If you started it, you should email us. We should send you a free t-shirt or something. Yeah, if you want a Let's Run shirt, softest shirts in the business, go to shop.letsrun.com. We also have the 159.49 shirts. Check it all out. Um, He's not going to win the 10K. Grant Fisher ran 26.33. Well, I mean, I don't know. He, he, win, he, he wins that race. He, I guarantee he beats Joe Klecker, right? So what? Yeah, did you what? He raced Joe Klecker at the sound running track meet Earlier this month, it was no contest. He broke him easily over the, the last lap. You're telling me Joe, that Jakob Ingebrigtsen couldn't watch, watch that, win that race I just watched on Friday? No, he's winning. Look, here's a better way to do it. He would have easily won that race on, on Friday night, definitely. No doubt in my mind he would have won that race. It would have been a joke for him. He would have been like tempoing for five for 5.75 miles and sprinting for a 53 to, to loosen up to get ready for the Bowerman Mile the next day. Look, the way I'm thinking is also... Now, I think if if Fisher pushes the pace and tries to break him early, it might be hard, but Fisher's not used to breaking the pace by himself and doing this stuff. So that would be really hard. So one, maybe one way to phrase it is, is if you arranged a match race between Jacob Ingebrigtsen and the U.S. champion at that U.S. champion's distance, does he win? Whereas, so it, there's no one else in the race to push the pace. There's no rabbits. Jacob can just sit on him. And I don't think there's any way anyone in America out, out kicks him from the front. Pushes okay, his away name from is Jakob. Uh, um, but yes, he wins a match race. I agree with you guys now. And the 5,000 easily, right? So he the wins 5, the 5,000, no doubt. 1,500, not even worth having I, that discussion. I think he might be most vulnerable in the 1,500 of all the world. Oh, events. please shut up. <laughs> what are you serious. talking about? <laughs> if he lets it go slow, he might not want to... He, if, he, if he tries to sit on other people, then it becomes he a kicker's race. He's not going to let it go slow. If he's in the final, he'll just run 3.30. No one's going to follow him. Like, come on, Robert. We have the Olympic final. He destroyed I, the weird. U.S. champion Ironically, I think he's most vulnerable in a kicker's race in the 1,500 of any level. Like in the longer events, you can just sit on them. Wait, now we're including the steeplechase in the, there too? The question yes. is the steeple. Now, here's the thing about the steeple. Jakob actually did run the steeple back in 2017. He was 16 years old and he ran 826 in the steeple. That's, that's, that's ridiculously good for a 16 year old. He actually made it to the world championships. Now he didn't do, you know, he didn't do great. He made the, no, he didn't make the final. He ran 834 at Worlds, but Jakob at that time, he was a 356 miler or something. I would need him. I think if he did a, like a, a few weeks of steeple training just over the barriers and stuff with how much fitter he is now, if he can run 826 in 2017, looking at the core of us steeple is I'd feel pretty good about his chances as long as he'd been, you know, he's, he's not totally terrible over the barriers. John, you're right. I thought this thread was absurd. When Robert threw it out there, I thought that's why maybe he started it. But I agree with you. I think he would win. My biggest question, I, I want him, you know, two months of steeple training. But if he gets the two months of steeple training, I think he wins. 
So my biggest question mark would probably be the 10K in a fast race if they could just run it out of him. But he's run – he hasn't done senior cross yet. He did junior cross, right? Well, he, he won the Euro – he won Euro cross last year. And it wasn't world cross, but he won Euro cross, and he beat some 27 mid guys in that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not ruling it out. It's pretty crazy. And what's his 800 PB? I mean, it's sort of crazy – this is the world's best miler, and we're, we're writing him off in the eight. But what's his fastest eight? It's 146.4 from 2020. Really? That's so slow. I think he could probably run 144, but there are, like, in a perfect race, but there are also a bunch of Americans who can do that too. I don't think he'd win the 800. I forgot about the steeple, the fact that he ran the His first world championship was in the steeplechase. That's crazy. We got to get him. Maybe that's what he's going to do in 2020. Yeah, make you retire. Then he said, no, not necessarily. Maybe he'll move back to the steeple. Oh, no, this is going to be Jenny Simpson is going to retire. And then Rojo's new thing, instead of getting Jenny to move back to the steeple, is to get Jakob to move to the steeple. This is his new, the 2020s, that's Rojo's hill he's going to die on. This would be great. Robert, you need to start taking, what's it called? Duolingo or Bobble. Who's this? There's this wasn't that a big sponsorship? Like everyone in USATF got like free internet. Spanish lessons or something. We'll get them as a sponsor of the podcast. Robert, you, you got to start learning. Um, Norwegian? Norwegian. You become a Norwegian celebrity and you'll you'll push like, Jakob, you'll be the Norwegian, you know, color commentator. Like, Jakob must return to the steeple. There's no other challenge <laughs> left. People in America love him for the steeplechase. Well, I was, when I walked in the office today, I said to John Kelly, I'm like, he's going to be the greatest ever. But then, if he wins the fifteen hundred and three straight Olympics, wait, did we talk about that already? How I told told him, yeah, we yes, we did, that. Robert. You know, that's only three golds. Like a lot of people have four golds, like O'Farrell and stuff. One forty six four. The good news is he told me that he's running eight hundred soon, so he's going back to Europe. I think he said he's going to run eight hundred like as a workout. So let's see what he does in that, and then I think he said he's going to run the five thousand in Rome. I thought he said he was doing the Dream Mile at the Bislett Games. Definitely Bislett Games, but I think he already has a five thousand qualifier. So I, so maybe I mean, he's not doing. Maybe I'm making the wrong stuff up. This podcast is so long. Robert's already forgotten what we've talked about. Yeah. All right, guys. Do we have any non-pre stuff or anything else we want to talk about? There was one thing I think is quite important, and it emerged from the regionals in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the NCAA West Regionals. Mackay Williams. 20 years old, University of Oregon, runs 9.86, which is only four hundredths off the NCAA record. He was fifth in the Olympic trials last year as a 19-year-old. And he also has a killer nickname called the Quad God because his quads are huge. Th- this guy's going to be a star. If, and like he might be the best 100-meter runner in America right now. It's going to be interesting. He's got the NCAA's in a couple weeks in Eugene at home. He'll be heavily favored to win there. Maybe even challenge if we get good conditions. He might challenge that NCAA record. Could be the first collegian under 9-8. But the question is, is he going to be able to hold up and come back against USA? Because the USA 100 team is going to be incredibly tough to make. They've got four spots this year. But, you know, we've got Bromel. We've got Curly. 
I think he'd probably get one of the three spots. I'd be feeling, you know, and Coleman's got the bye. I feel pretty good about Makai Williams' chances, but 986, I mean, that's just, it's a big PR. I, I was super impressed. And to do it at age 20, you know, I think Bromel might be the only other guy who's run that fast that young. It's sort of amazing he's flown under the radar a little bit. I mean, he went NCAA 60 last year as a freshman. He's only third at NCAAs in the, at, you know, in the 100, but he gets fifth at Olympic trials, tears it up again indoors this year. I guess that's the thing in America, right? Like, we have these... We had two high schoolers younger than him. Well, I mean, one made the Olympic team and got what? Was it right night and fourth at the Olympics or fifth? Fourth. It's just so crazy. So you got a kid younger than him getting fourth at the Olympics. We're wondering if he's the next Usain Bolt. Usain. Usain. John, we had a caller actually call in and they commended you on the uh, pronunciation. It is Usain Bolt. But it's Duval County. Oh, Duval. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that because 2017 AFC Championship game, Patriots versus Jags. Duval County is where Jacksonville's from, and a lot of their fans were yelling Duval until the fourth quarter when Danny Amendola caught two touchdown passes to lead us back to the Super Bowl. But anyway, enough about that. So we're wondering if Mary Knighton is the next Usain Bolt. Then you got the you know Trayvon Bramell coming back, Christian Coleman. You have Fred Curley. I mean, even Michael Norman. You guys talk about getting the rhythm. Michael Norman was running so fast at 100. But I think we're, we see for the 400, there is some special sort of rhythm or cadence they need. He's got that back. But, oh, man. Um, if I put him on the world's team, that means who am I leaving off? So does anyone have a bye this year from the U.S.? Coleman has the bye. Okay, so he should take that. Then you got Trayvon Brumell. I assume Curley's going to take another crack at it. He was the Olympic silver medalist. So the third spot's then up for grabs? Is that how we're doing Yeah, this? the third spot would be Baker if he's healthy, maybe Noah Lyles, probably not Arian Knighton based what on what What do you mean? The third spot is this kid. You know, this that, well, that's what I think. I think he's, he's the, on the, team. the favorite. I would say he's probably going to make the team um, in that spot, assuming he's not totally wiped from NCAAs. Yeah, and if we're having the conversation, who's the best 100-meter sprinter at the end of the year, you may be saying Mika Williams, who will be – he'll still be 20 years old then, which is crazy. Yeah, I, th- That's I think – That's the crazy part. I think even though it's spelled Micah, I believe it's pronounced Mackay, just to get ahead of the – if someone – if that's incorrect, someone please email me, jonathangoal at com. But we should learn to say his name if he's going to be a star like we expect. Speaking of NCAAs, let's get out of here on this note. If you if I've already told you guys this, please don't cheat. How many guess how many NCAA qualifiers my alma mater, Princeton University, has? Guess how many the University of Oregon has? Men's side, please. Thirteen and twelve. Princeton winning. Seventeen and twelve. Princeton. Weldon's pretty close. The Princeton Tigers have 17 people qualified for nationals. Oregon only has 10. Now, that's a little bit misleading because Princeton, has eight of those 17 are relays, 4x1 and 4x4. So they have nine individuals. 
I think Oregon has seven individuals plus a four-by-one. But since Michael Williams is in both, I said that's only 10. And they also have one guy that's qualified in two events. So individual qualifiers, I think it's like eight versus nine. Well, good job, Princeton. As, even as a Dartmouth man, it pay, pays me to say it. But I'll be out in the NCAAs. Are either of you guys going out there two weeks from now, or am I going to be solo? Or it's next week. I've, I leave to NCAAs. Actually, my flight leaves a week from today. We're recording this on Tuesday, so it's not that far away. But am I going to be the only lone le Let's Run representative for that meet? What's the weekend, John? June 11th? That weekend? June, it starts on... Uh, hold on. The meet runs Wednesday, June 8th through Saturday, June 11th. Wow. I think that's the day my wife leaves to Europe for a work trip. Bring out a two-year-old, hang with you, John. I don't think I'll be there. I don't think I'll be there. Saving my travel up for the World Championships. I can't wait. Hopefully you guys are going to get tickets. You got to go to one of these meets. If you don't go to one of these meets in Eugene this year, your track fan status is revoked. All right, well, I think that's going to do it. We didn't even have time to talk about the world leader in the steeplechase today, Lamecha Goma, 7.58 at Ostrava. Ethiopian record, first Ethiopian man under eight minutes, so a big run for him. First sub eight in the world since 2018. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. We'll have a Friday 15 this week. If you uh, have not subscribed to the Let's Run got Sorry, the Let's Run Supporters Club. You can do that now, letsrun.com slash subscribe. And that gives you access to all of our bonus podcasts and bonus content, T-shirt, all that good, you know, discounts on shoes, all that good stuff. We do have a Diamond League this weekend on Sunday in Rabat to discuss. So we'll be previewing that meet. I'm sure there'll be a, one or two things come up between now and then as well. But until then, this is Jonathan Gold signing off. Everyone, you've got to check this out. The Airwave Endurance Performance Mouthpiece is here. We talked about this in the past. The Airwave Mouthpiece that directs your tongue down and increases your airway opening by up to 25%. They now have refined this and released the Endurance Performance Mouthpiece. This can reduce your respiratory rate by 20%, which means less lactic acid, faster recovery times. It can reduce cortisol buildup by 50%. They have peer-reviewed published research by Dr. Dina Gardner of the Citadel. They are now a supporting partner of USA Triathlon. 16 years of research went into this, and Airwave re released its first product in late 2020. They now have the Endurance Performance Model. Check it out. If you go to airwave.com slash LR10, you can save 10% off. That's airwave, A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com slash LR10, link in the show notes. Check it out today. Take your performance to the next level.